Romans eight twenty six through thirty is our uh, our verse today. Um, in your pew Bibles, it's on page one thousand one hundred and eighty four. If you would like to turn there, or if you can look on your phone, iPad, uh, whatever, or if you have your own Bible, then you probably know where to find it. Romans eight twenty six. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Oh, sorry. I guess I had that muted somehow. That's my fault. Um, I thought it was kind of quiet. He was the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Rome. And so there was a group of Christians in Rome, probably not very big, uh, maybe not a lot bigger than us. And, uh, but they were kind of scattered around town. There were some Jewish ones and some Greek ones, and uh, they didn't always meet together as much as they should. And so Paul writes this long letter to them. Uh, we've divided it into 16 chapters, and smack in the middle of this letter is this section we call chapter 8. And it's kind of the climax of this whole argument that uh, Paul is making. It's, and it's one of the most fascinating passages of Christian theology and belief that we have written out for us in detail in the New Testament. And so we've been kind of taking it one little bit at a time for the last few weeks, and we've got one more week left. Uh, so we're coming kind of down to the end of it here. And, and we've talked about how, you know, it started with, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we talked about the freedom that we have when we're being led by the Spirit into Jesus' way of life, that we're no longer under a legalistic system where you have to follow these rules to... Uh, get in, and we're also no longer trapped by sin, to where we can't really help ourselves, and we keep. Uh, but instead, by the Spirit's help, we're putting to death sin and living in a new way of life. Uh, and so we, through that, find that life and peace that Romans eight six talks about that we've been trying to memorize. Right. So we talked about you know practically through this series, how do you uh, put to death the deeds of the flesh? How do you, you know, seek out uh, God's Life and his peace in your life. And, and last week we specifically talked about hope, and, and we're going to kind of piggyback off of that today, talking about help, hope and help. Uh, goodness knows we need help sometimes. Today you also get a bonus because I'm going to tell you which Batman character you are. Uh, you ever see those social media 
things that it's like, um, which Disney princess are you? Or which celebrity are you? Or which superhero are you? Well, today you get to play. But you're all the same guy. So, anyway, hold you in suspense for a minute. I'll even show you, the, look at that, just to whet your appetite. Okay, um, I noticed a while back that uh, it's become popular, you know, in the last couple of decades to, um, well, sometimes people call it social justice, sometimes people call it social holiness. Um, the church has started being a lot more involved with doing things for the community, uh, doing things for people's lives that are broken. And this is kind of in reaction to a day when the church was mostly concerned with personal holiness, uh, but their definition of that was kind of like, don't smoke, don't drink, don't go to the wrong movies, don't have sex, that might lead to dancing, right? <laughs> like, we had some interesting rules, don't cuss, um, you know, we had all these rules that, um, you know, kind of defined holiness in the evangelical culture of America, and that was kind of the focus. And if we interacted with the world beyond, with the broken world outside, it was often to kind of wag a finger and, and kind of say, y'all know you shouldn't be doing that. Well, goodness knows we needed some change from that. And so then we've moved into the last couple of decades where the emphasis has moved to, uh, well, you know, there's people in poverty, there's people with broken lives, there's uh, and all these ministries have sprung up and, and churches like ours are very involved in helping with various helping ministries. Uh, I just sat at a round table recently in our community of, of leaders of various ministries that a lot of them I didn't even know existed and they're doing work in the trenches of, of you know, helping people's lives. Women who are struggling uh, with you know, all sorts of issues from addiction to trafficking and uh, they're, they're helping men who are trying to get out of prison or turn their lives around and they need a halfway house or something like that. Um, people who are fighting addictions and all sorts of things. There's ministries for all these, for kids who uh, maybe are abandoned by their parents or are unable to be taken care of. And so there's, I just got something in the mail uh, this last week saying, you know, please share with your church about CASA. And if you're not familiar with that, it's like a child advocate um, social sort of working thing that you can volunteer in and help the people, who, the judges and the social workers who are overwhelmed by their caseload and you can uh, be assigned to one child and, and the adults in their life and help bring clarity to a situation for the sake of that child and, and so you can volunteer in that nonprofit organization and there's dozens like that, right? that we're familiar with and we're thankful for them but I've been thinking lately that I'm not sure that either of those things of the last several decades is all that helpful with addressing the root of the problem of humanity and of our culture. Uh, at some level, it's just addressing symptoms. The, the whole, uh, you know, don't cuss, smoke, drink, all that stuff. That's really kind of addressing things at a legalistic or, or um, at least at a surface or symptomatic level of what's going on in the heart. And similarly, when we had go out and, and manufacture ministries to address these needs that are very real and need to be addressed, uh, we're also operating at a symptomatic level. And there's sometimes a place for addressing symptoms. Like when you're hurting, 
and you take a pain pill, <laughs> right? You're addressing a symptom. You're not really fixing what's at the root of the problem. Uh, you're just, but you know, you're thankful for it, right? And so we know that there's, uh, there's difficult things that people are dealing with, uh, both in their personal lives and, and struggle against sin, and also just in the brokenness of our world and the problems that we face. And so all those ministries and, and the morals and all those things are good things that we're pursuing. However, if we want to get to the heart of the problem, then we're going to have to get back to this message in Romans 8 that we are called to. A message of holiness that isn't about um, a a set of rules dictated, uh, but rather by what the Spirit leads us to do. To look more like Jesus. To change us from the inside out. Both individually and corporately. And I believe that when you're changed from the inside out, and you're becoming a different kind of person, then that's going to affect the little world around you. And and I think that when we, as a church, are figuring out what it means to be changed as a people, to become more like the body of Christ, that we'll have an even larger impact on the world and the community around us. So this series has been like, how do we do that? And... You know, how do we walk and be led by the Spirit? How do we become changed and transformed into the people that God would have us to be? And, and what role do we have to play? And last week, uh, we looked specifically at hope. The hope that we have. The Christian hope. What is our hope? And it plays into this in a very specific way. And I'll try to refresh our memories a little bit. Because see, today's passage began with, in the same way... And so, of course, we need to figure out and remember what were we talking about to know what Paul's talking about here. So the verse immediately before that says, Now if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. Which is an interesting sentence. Eager patience. It almost seems like it's two different things there, right? Uh, But I guess you can have eager patience. I feel like I do a pretty good job of having eager patience at Christmas time. Some people don't. Some people don't do well with that at all. Uh, some people are trying to, you know, sneak peeks at their presents or shake them around, you know, because they're too eager and not patient enough. All right. And then there's other people who are like, I don't care. And they just don't care. They're not really that into Christmas. And then there's people like me that. <laughs> That are eager for the present, but I kind of like the surprise, right? So I'm patiently waiting. Like, don't, until it's time, I don't want to know anything about my present, all right? And so anyway, I don't know if this is really like that or not, but eager patience, that's what I thought of. But it's this idea that there's something coming that we're excited about. There's something coming that's worth being excited about, worth hoping for. Uh, That in this broken world and in our broken lives, thank God that he's given us something to look forward to when Jesus returns. We have this hope. And we talked last week about what that hope was. That it's something that we can be eager about. And at the same time, we're told we're going to need to be patient. We're going to need to be patient and endure. Even suffering. Even the heartache that comes from that. So if you were here when we looked at the hope message, uh, it talked about what our Christian hope is, and that uh, it talked about how creation is corrupted and 
broken and that it's groaning as if it's in childbirth waiting for the hope that will come when Jesus returns and sets up the new heaven and earth and everything is made new again and so in some sense you know Jesus resurrection was like the first fruit the first bit the down payment if you will on a future resurrection of all creation and of us those who are in Christ Jesus that will receive new bodies like he received new bodies and so last week we talked about how creation is waiting and groaning for that moment and we also in our broken bodies are waiting and groaning for that moment when things will be made right and so we talked about that hope that we have and how yeah we're hoping for something we don't see that's what hope is and so we wait patiently for it and we're told that in the same way in the same way the spirit also helps our weakness for we do not know how to pray as we should but the spirit himself intercedes with us with and there's that word again groanings too deep for words and he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God we talked last week about how we exist in this strange time between you know Jesus resurrection and Jesus return and that existing in this place we have experienced to some degree and in increasing degrees this new life and peace that comes in following Jesus and being led by his spirit and so we have begun to taste that there's a better way of life that there is a better life that's worth living for eternity so we've experienced a bit of that but not all of it and we know that because sometimes our body hurts right physically emotionally spiritually uh, sometimes the world around us just seems so broken that we don't even know what to do or where to begin and so we live in this time where we have this taste of future glory and we have this hope of Christ's return and yet we live trapped in this moment in this tension between the resurrection and the return and so it's like we're groaning like a woman in childbirth is literally the metaphor that Paul used that she is willing to go through the pain of childbirth because of what's coming at the end this new life this precious life that's going to be born makes all the struggle worth it in the end and that's the description Paul uses for our experience in this world we have this hope coming in the meantime creation is groaning we're groaning and now we read that the Spirit the Holy Spirit God's presence available in the life of the believer is groaning with us interesting that we're called to pray we're called to stand in the gap in this time of tension we are to be the people who do something to make more of God's kingdom come to help more of it come to, to pray you know we're taught in the New Testament to pray come Lord Jesus come 
That's not an exasperated prayer in the sense of, you know, come Lord Jesus, come and you know, strike these people down. <laughs> or get me out of here. It's a come and make things right. It's a longing for what's broken to be mended. For the creation to be made new. For our bodies to be made new. To be set free completely and finally from sin and its problems and the death that accompanies it. But we don't have a clue where to begin. It's interesting to me that God would choose to work with us at all and through us. I mean, we're utterly ignorant and impotent. <laughs> I mean, we don't know what to pray. We don't. I mean, have you ever faced a problem that you're just like, God, this is above my pay grade. Like, I could pray something, but it's probably going to be wrong. Like, I could ask you to, uh, to let me marry this girl, but, you know, she could be crazy. I don't know. Uh, she, I could ask that you break that couple up because they are not good for each other, but... I don't know, maybe that's your plan. You've got strange plans sometimes. Like There's things that we look at in life, even the problems of our, of our world, you know, on a global scale, and we're like, you know, we pray that that political party goes down in flames, and that this one rises to glory, but then, you know, hey, I don't know, maybe that'll go wrong. Like, it's just really hard to know how to pray sometimes, and so we're ignorant. We don't have the perspective of God. At the same time, we are impotent, as in we don't have the strength or the power to affect change in our own power, right? And in our own strength. We, we see a problem and, and we feel powerless to do anything about it. And God has incredibly chosen people just like that, you and me, through whom to work his ministries and his world transformation project. In this season, between resurrection and return. So here's what we believe as we study this passage this week. And if you want to fill out your note card, uh, you might need it again in a minute anyway. So if you want to get it out, go for it. But we believe that changing the world depends more on faith than competence. More on faith than ability. You know, change the world. That's a big deal nowadays in politics and religion. Everyone wants to change the world. And so, like I say, all these ministries are born in the name of changing the world. And, and politicians go around and talk about, you know, we need to change the world. Problem is, we're all ignorant and impotent. You know? we, we don't even know the best way to change the world. And a lot of times, when we try to change the world, we end up messing it up worse instead of fixing it. This is true in the church. This is true in politics. Lots of policies that were put in place from good motives. Let's help these people. And we give them stuff, and it ends up making the situation worse than when it started. This has happened. It's well documented. Sometimes we learn from our mistakes. Sometimes we don't. This happens in the church as well. And we're like, whoa, let's help this situation. We'll throw some money at it. And then it doesn't fix the situation. It makes it worse. Or it was just wasteful. And so we find that oftentimes our efforts, though well-intentioned, don't have the effects that we desire. Does that mean we should stop trying? No. Not at all. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, if we really want to change the world, we're going to have to address 
things at more than a symptomatic level. And we're going to have to come to the heart of things. And that that comes more by faith than by competence. That comes in a recognition that there's only so much we understand. And there's only so much that we're able to do. But that we know the one who understands everything and is completely able to do anything. That's where the amen, isn't it? Do you know the one that is able to do anything and understands everything? So let's call on his name. Let's be led by him, both in our lives and in our prayers. And so what do we do if we want to change the world? We've already been talking about how changing the world starts with you, right? That it starts with your life, looking in the mirror, asking the Holy Spirit, what needs to go in my life and what needs to come? What do I need to work on, God, and help me? And I think that's the most important thing that any of us can do. Start where we have the most influence in our own lives, in our family, in our homes. We start there because where we affect the most influence and we work in partnership with the Spirit. But there's also a sense in which we're called to deal with the larger issues of our world and the larger issues of the people all around us that can feel overwhelming, especially in this day and age where news is 24-7 and global. You hear about problems all the time that can be overwhelming. What do you do? Even the problems that are local can feel overwhelming. Sometimes they feel the most overwhelming as they touch closer to home. What do we do when we face insurmountable problems in our own lives or we see those in the lives of those that we love and care about that we don't even know where to begin? Well, we pray. Even when we don't know how to pray. We're the ones who are called to stand in the gap and intercede for the world. I shared that verse at our prayer time about how we're called to pray for all peoples and for nations and governments and leaders. Situations well beyond our control, well beyond our understanding, and yet we're called to pray for them. One thing we know, it's not going to be the excellence of our prayers that makes the difference. It's not going to be having the right fancy words, being able to pray like a preacher, or pray like a Sunday school teacher. It's not the style. I, I'm not even sure that it's really the, the confidence so much as it, is, as it is, at least not in your ability to pray, but rather your faith or your confidence in God. You come into prayer for the brokenness of our world, not having figured out what the solution needs to be and telling God what it is, but rather with faith that He can sort it out and asking Him to do so. So I want to give us two thoughts when it comes to praying. I mean, praying with this idea of that the Spirit is going to be coming alongside you 
and groaning in your spirit, with, alongside your spirit. You know, this almost unintelligible feeling. You know, sometimes we think we've got to have the right words to pray. I think there's a place just for sitting there with a broken heart and calling on the name of the Lord. And he who searches our hearts. That's what God is called in this passage. You can see it there in the middle. He who searches the hearts. It's an interesting name for God. He who searches the hearts will hear the Holy Spirit groaning alongside your spirit. And he'll know. He'll understand. He speaks that language. So the first thing, if changing the world depends more on faith than, compet- than competence, we need, to, we need to be patient. We need to be patient in our prayer. These things are big problems. They're complex problems. Took a long time to get this messed up. And a lot of these problems, they're not going to be solved in the blink of an eye. But they can begin to be solved. We can make a difference in prayer. I believe that. God excels at taking what's broken and making it right. And so we are patient. Eagerly patient, even. Pray with eager patience. I heard this uh, illustration, simple image. So in your mind, imagine your life like a house. If you can do that. If it helps to close your eyes, you can. But imagine your life like a house. Now faith is what happens when you look out of the window, away from yourself, to the God who is much greater than you. That's faith. And patience is what happens inside the house when you do that. I thought that was so interesting. So, faith is looking out the window to the God who is greater and more competent and more powerful than we could ever imagine, who is more able to do what we are unable to do. And patience is what happens inside, in our lives, when we do that. So pray with patience. When we pray with faith, we'll pray with patience. Because patience is what grows out of that kind of faith that looks consistently to God. Pray also boldly. Pray patiently and pray boldly. Pray bold prayers. We can pray for the symptomatic problems of the world. We can pray for the illnesses that we face, and we can pray for the emergencies and the disasters and the lonely and broken lives. We can 
pray for broken homes, all those things we can pray for at the symptomatic level, and that's great. But dare to pray bolder prayers. Who, may I ask, will pray for the lost to be found? Who will pray for the church to be and act like the church? Who will pray for nominal Christians to become obedient disciples of Jesus? Who will pray that the slaves to sin and addiction and even slaves to legalism will be set free unto life in Jesus' name? These are big prayers. Who's going to pray them? Who will pray for the persecuted church and for those who persecute them? Who will pray for the affluent church, sometimes lackadaisical in her faith? Who will pray for truth to overcome lies? Who will pray that the false teachings will not poison the minds of well-intentioned believers? These are big prayers. And who will be bold enough to gaze into the mirror at what is most broken inside themselves and offer prayers in that place. Pray bold prayers that go beyond the symptomatic level. Let your heart be broken. Yes, when you pray those kinds of prayers, you are treading into territory where your competence is low. But we're not going there in competence. We're going there in faith. We're going there in faith, and that's what we're called to do because we have help. We have a helper, someone who comes alongside us and groans alongside us, and God hears it and knows and can act. So I'm challenging you today. Try something new in your prayer life this week. Try praying patient and bold prayers that you may not be comfortable with. You may not feel like you know where to begin. And if that's the way you're feeling, then you're probably on the right track. I'm going to read that list again. And I would ask that on your note card or on the back or somewhere, in your phone, wherever you need to write it down, Write down one or two of these. It doesn't have to be the exact wording I use, but one or two things that maybe resonate with you as something that you want to invest some time praying about this week. Who will pray for the lost to be found? Maybe it could be you this week. Who will pray for the church to be the church or for nominal Christians to become obedient disciples of Jesus? Who will pray for the slaves to sin or the slaves to addiction or the slaves to legalism to be set free unto life in Jesus' name? 
Maybe one of those things is something that you'd be passionate about praying for. Who will pray for the persecuted church and for those who persecute them? Who will pray for the affluent church? Sometimes we're kind of lazy in our faith, maybe. We have a hard time with faith. Who will pray for truth to overcome the lies? Who will pray that false teachings will not poison the minds of well-intentioned believers? And the last one, though you may think of others, who will be bold enough to look in the mirror at what's most broken inside them, inside yourself, and offer up these kinds of prayers of faith there? This little passage today ends with a famous verse. Before I shared it, I, I clean forgot to tell you which Batman character you are, so I'm going to tell you now. So I'd have somebody mad at me. All right, if you're a fan of the newer movies, it's kind of dark, but that's Commissioner Gordon. All right, if you're more like old school, you might remember more, something more like that, you know, from the old TV shows. All right, Commissioner Gordon, when something was going on in Gotham City that was too big for him to handle, what did he do? He didn't strap on his pistol. He didn't call in backup. He went to this roof and flipped on the bat signal, right? Because <laughs> he knew somebody that could do what he couldn't do, that could deal with problems that were too big for him. And so I propose to you today, you're Commissioner Gordon. I'm Commissioner Gordon. We can flip on the bat signal when things get overwhelming. We, we live by faith. We engage in the world that's broken. We don't turn a blind eye to it. We're willing to hurt with the hurting, to break with the broken. But we do so in faith. Faith in who? Faith in this God. This famous verse. The God that causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And he goes on to talk about uh, those who are called, those who are um, the elect, we are, Jesus is the elect. He is the one that God chose to work through to save mankind, to rescue and fix the world. And everyone in Christ is also elect in that sense. We are selected and chosen and predestined to become like him for the good of the world. If we are in Christ Jesus, if we're born into this family by faith, then we are with him in that, in that calling. And the God that we serve is the God who specializes in taking what's messed up and broken and bringing something good out of it. I mean, the cross. 
as the ultimate example. Something evil, something terrible, something meant for harm, turned to good. This is what our God does. And this is why, in faith, in that God, we come in prayer on behalf of a broken world, knowing He is able. Yes, sometimes He'll use us. He works through people like us. It begins with faith and prayer. So I challenge you to do that today. Next week, we're going to spend our last week talking about how to find life and peace. And specifically talking about the peace that we find in the assurance that is ours as children of God, as loved by God. So, hope you'll make it for that. But let's pray together today. Father, we thank you that you don't simply throw away what is broken, but you mend it, you rescue it. God, we're not smart enough or strong enough to fix what is broken in our own lives, much less the world. Holy Spirit, we need your help. Pray alongside us, alongside our spirits. Search our broken hearts and help us speak to the Father. Teach us, God, to fix our gaze on you by faith, to pray with patience and boldness. In Jesus' name, amen.